I love that ending to Cinderella uh, because Cinderella and her prince, as soon as they get married, the storybook literally closes. That's the end. I mean, they've achieved all their life goals. Their character arcs are completely over. The book is closed on their story. Now, did you know that in Cinderella, the prince doesn't even have a name? I mean, we call him Prince Charming, but if you watch the movie, he's not given a name in the entire time. So Cinderella and her nameless prince ride off in a carriage, and that's the end. Uh, But you and I know that the moment we say, I do, it's not the end of our story. Uh, Well, today we're going to be continuing our series, Happily Ever After. And uh, I hope you were able to listen to the previous messages. Uh, Pastor Michael shared a a wonderful message on Christ-centered friendships. And then last Sunday, Pastor John shared about what we pass on to our children. And so if you happen to miss one of those, you can catch them on our podcast through our website. I listened to both of them this week, and they were great. Well, as you may have guessed from our clip, today I'm going to be sharing on marriage. And so I want to start by just reading uh, two verses uh, from Ephesians. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. And this is what we're going to be kind of examining today. And this is what it says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Uh, Well, first, I've recently read two books on Christian marriage that have greatly impacted this message. Uh, So the first one was The Meaning of Marriage by Timothy Keller, and the second was Grace-Filled Marriage by Tim Kimmel. And so if I happen to say something that sounds smart today, it's probably from them. Okay, secondly, I recognize that not all of us here are married. God designed all of us to need horizontal relationships with others and a vertical relationship with him. That's for all of us. And our Bible verses that we just read today were written by a guy named Paul, a a single guy who God used to give great wisdom to us about marriage. And Both Paul and Jesus, neither one of them was married. Neither of them had children, and yet uh, they are the two most prominent figures in the New Testament. And so while we live in a culture that says that if you're single, then there must be something wrong with you or you're lacking in some way, uh, as people who understand the Bible, we recognize that that's just not true, that we find our identity in Christ, and he is more than enough for us. And so it doesn't matter if we're single, married, separated, or divorced, or widowed, each one of us finds our place in God's kingdom. And so while my message today is going to focus mainly on the relationship between married couples, Uh, these same principles apply to all of our close relationships in our lives. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I just thank you, God, that you are here with us. God, I thank you that you want to speak to us today from your word. And so, God, we just pray that our hearts would be open to hear from you. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
marriage is hard. Uh, in the first year that Crystal and I were married, uh, she faced some significant health challenges. And, and it was difficult. But through that situation, it actually ended up drawing us closer together. It was in the second year of our marriage where things became really difficult. Uh, I had grown up in a family where my mom loved to serve me. And so if I was hungry, she was happy to make me a sandwich. If my clothes were dirty, she would clean them for me. And so when I got married, and this just kind of continued into my marriage with my wife serving me in this way, I just thought, marriage is wonderful. This is great. When I got married, uh, I would put a dirty shirt into the hamper. And the next day, it would just appear in my closet, cleaned, dried, pressed, hanging up, ready for me. I mean, it was amazing. It was wonderful. Uh, But I didn't realize uh, how hard my wife was working to serve me in our marriage. And so in the first couple years of our marriage, I did like no household chores, nothing around the house. I would just kind of come home from work, sit back, put my feet up, uh, and my wife was cooking and cleaning, and I just thought, this is wonderful. This is great. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that I swept the floor once or twice, but I didn't even mow the lawn. We hired somebody to do that for me. And so eventually over time, as my wife is killing herself, trying to serve me, trying to make sure that I'm happy, she's becoming more and more frustrated. And so when she started to point out the selfishness that she saw inside of me, well, then I started to get upset. It led to some disagreements, some arguments. Things started to get difficult. Now, I had grown up in a family watching my parents have a a strong and healthy marriage. And so I expected marriage to be easy. I, I figured that if my parents could do it, then I could probably do it even better. And so when we started to have some of these disagreements and arguments, when things started to feel difficult, I figured that something must be wrong in our marriage, that something must be broken, that nobody else experienced it like this. And so I began to worry and get upset, thinking like, did I make a wrong choice here? Should I, should I have been with somebody else? Is this really what marriage is supposed to be like? I was just thinking to myself, marriage shouldn't be this hard. Now, over seven years now that Crystal and I have been married, there have been some great seasons where life came easy, but there have also been some incredibly difficult, scary, heartbreaking times. And and sometimes marriage can feel so difficult, so hard, so challenging, uh, that I forget about the glorious parts of marriage, the friendship and the closeness and the love and the intimacy, and I, I just take those things for granted. And when I find myself hanging out with uh, newlyweds who are just so excited to be together, to have their new relationship, they don't see a single flaw in their spouse, they're just so happy to be together. I want to yell at them. I want to say, no, marriage is hard. You have no idea what you've gotten yourself into. 
but really I need them to help me to keep a proper perspective on marriage, the great and wonderful parts of marriage. Let's read our passage again. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Well, Paul says that marriage is a profound mystery. In the original Greek, a profound mystery is mega mysterion. And it can be understood as an extraordinarily great, wonderful, profound truth that can only be understood with the help of God's spirit. That there is a mystery to marriage that can only be fully understood with God's help. And I think we can see that that's true in our lives today because marriage is a mystery to our culture. Where they don't understand marriage. Some find marriage to be unnecessary when they can simply live together. Or some find it to be too restrictive or, or view it as oppressive. Others believe marriage is just an outdated relic of the past. Others view marriage as just doomed to fail. That it's only a matter of time before this relationship falls apart. And then there's others that are are looking to get married, but they're waiting on their Prince Charming or their Cinderella to come into their life. Some sort of perfect person that just doesn't exist. Well, how do you view marriage? Because for each of us, our experience can distort our view. That the marriages that we saw around us as we we're growing up, good or bad, can have a, a profound impact on our view of marriage. For me, it was my parents, it seemed like their marriage was so easy and so great that that impacted how I viewed my own marriage. Well, if we've had some serious relationships that have come to an end or gone through a divorce or lost a spouse, our view of marriage will be greatly impacted. Our families our culture needs to see more healthy marriages. And I, I want to have a great marriage. This year, my grandparents are celebrating their 70th wedding anniversary. I mean, what a great example for Crystal and I to look to. I mean, that's the kind of marriage that I want to have, one that, that lasts, one that can be celebrated with my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. And we need to have more strong, healthy marriages because more and more young people are becoming disillusioned with marriage. The University of Virginia did a study among grade 12 students in the States where they found that only 33%, it was a little higher for boys and a little younger for girls, but of grade 12 students that only 33% viewed marriage as more favorable than the alternatives, that it was better for the individual. Only 33% believe that about marriage. So we need to have strong and healthy marriages to show a whole generation of young people that aren't seeing the value 
of marriage. So how do we do that? Well, Paul gives us the answer in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. And first, let's look at verse 31. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, here, Paul is quoting from Genesis chapter 2, after God had brought Adam and Eve together in the first marriage. And so there's some key specific things that we can pull from this verse. And the first is that we need to understand that this is God's design for marriage, that God has a design for marriage. And it's that a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul is quoting this uh, verse from Genesis 2 here. Jesus, when he talks about marriage, also refers to this exact same passage, that this is God's design for marriage. And so we can look at this and see that if we're not following God's design for marriage, that things are going to be more difficult in our marriage. So if we don't separate ourselves from our parents, our marriage is going to be more difficult. If we don't hold fast to our spouse, if we don't put our spouse first, if we allow other things like our job or our kids or our hobbies, our other interests to take the place that our spouse is to have in our life, then marriage is going to be more difficult. And if we're not completely joined and united, that hold fast to your spouse, that hold fast to your wife, that joined and united. If we're not completely joined, completely united, but if we're withholding part of ourself from our spouse, like our money, this is my money or your money, or these are my relationships and those are your relationships. If we haven't fully committed in covenant with our spouse our marriage is going to be more difficult. Then in verse 32, Paul reveals the secret to understanding the mystery, the mega mysterion, the profound mystery of marriage. And the secret to understanding it is to look at Jesus' example of how he loves the church, God's people. Let's look at verse 32 here. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Paul shows us that understanding the good news of Jesus is the secret to understanding marriage. That it's Jesus' example towards the church, us, his people, anyone who believes in Jesus. We become a part of his family. We are the church. It's not a building. It's us God's people. It's God's example. Jesus is example to his people. That is the example of how husbands and wives are to treat each other. Jesus' love for me, his example of love for me, shows me how to love my wife. That for us, Jesus' love for us shows us how to love our spouse. That this is what Paul is pointing us to, that if we want to understand the mystery of marriage, we need to understand how Jesus relates to his people. His example of love to us shows us how to love our spouse.
Jesus is my example. And so let's look at the example of Jesus, what we can learn from Jesus about how we can love our spouse. First, Jesus is my example of submission. That Jesus came from heaven to earth. And Jesus laid down his power and his glory to come and to be a servant. And so I can, in marriage, lay down my rights to serve my wife. Because Jesus is my example of submission. Jesus' love for me shows me how to love my spouse. And Jesus is my example of servant leadership. That Jesus came and revolutionized the world with this idea of being a servant leader. That Jesus came and and served. And Jesus did what was best for us, his people, and not what was best for himself. To where Jesus was willing to die on the cross because it was what was best for us, not what was best for himself. Jesus is my example of servant leadership. And so now, like Jesus, I can do what's best for my spouse instead of what's best for myself. Because as I understand the great love and example that Jesus has for me, then I can know how to love my spouse. Jesus is my example of forgiveness. That because Jesus has forgiven me, I can forgive my spouse, that as I know and understand the great lengths that he's gone to to forgive me, as I understand everything that he's forgiven me from, then I can show that to my wife. I can forgive my wife because Jesus' love for me shows me how to love my spouse. Jesus is my example of love and grace, that Jesus looked into the depths of who I am, and responds with love and grace for me. And so now in a marriage, I mean, think about it from the moment that you say, I do, and that fragment of the other person that you kind of understand. And then as you go through marriage, as you begin to learn more about them and really uncover who they are, that it takes years to really know who your spouse is. And as you're going along that journey, you're gonna find out more about your spouse. You're gonna uncover things. They're gonna uncover things about you. Things are going to come up to the surface. And so now, with the example of Jesus, I can respond in love and grace to my spouse. Not in judgment or disgust, but like Jesus with love and grace. Because Jesus has overwhelming grace and love for us. Jesus is empathetic and understanding when we fear and doubt He sees us for what we can be instead of what we are. Jesus reaches down to us at our lowest and raises us up to our highest. That Jesus gives us mercy and hope when we're at our worst. And Jesus measures our sin against his far greater love for us. Jesus is my example of how to love my spouse. That as I understand more about how great Jesus' love is for me, I can extend love to my spouse. But Jesus isn't only 
my example. And really, when we look at the example of Jesus, it's so great that it's almost crushing. Because when I put my love for my wife next to Christ Jesus' love for my wife, my pales in comparison. I can never live up to this example that he set for me. It's almost too much for me to be able to understand how can I do this? How can I show this to my wife? But Jesus isn't just our example. Jesus is my power source. That he is my power source because Jesus lives in me and by his spirit in me, he gives me the power to do the hard work of marriage. That it's Christ in me, his spirit in me, that enables me to follow in his example. His spirit gives me the power to do the hard work of marriage. Marriage takes hard work. Marriage is hard. But of course marriage is hard. Now, I I love to read books, and someday I would like to write a book. Turns out, writing a book is hard. Doing something great, creating something great is going to be challenging. Painting a masterpiece or becoming an expert at an instrument. We expect these things to be hard. Running a successful business. Actually finishing a grown-up coloring book. I mean, these things are challenging. Creating something great is difficult. And so should marriage be any different? Today I want to give you five keys to a great Marriage. Five principles that we can learn from the example of love that Jesus shows to us. Five things that are not going to be easy for us to apply uh, to our marriage, but where we're going to need to roll up our sleeves and do the hard work of marriage. That we're going to have to be ready to put our work and our effort into it with these five things. And so I want to look at these. Number one, as we understand that Jesus is our power source. Number one is that we need to stay connected to our source. That Jesus is our example because when he was here, he was in constant communion with his father. Constantly taking time away just to be with his father. Listening to what his father was saying. Doing nothing except understanding what his father wanted him to do. And so we need to stay connected to that source because the example of Jesus' love is so great that if we're trying to live that out on our own, separate from Jesus, we're only going to burn out. We're never going to be able to achieve it. We need him to be our power source. Romans 8.11 says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, that if you are a believer, if you've given your life to Jesus, then that same spirit, that same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. It's Jesus, the hope of glory inside of us that gives us the ability to do the hard work of marriage. So number one, we need to stay connected to our source. Number two, we need to submit to one another and lead as a servant. 
Because Jesus showed us that he laid down his desires. Jesus did what was best for us, not what was best for himself. And in in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul talks to both husbands and wives. Now, we've been zooming in pretty closely just on these two verses, but if you zoom out a little bit into Ephesians 5, Paul is giving instructions to husbands and wives on the different roles within marriage. So Paul tells wives to submit to their husbands and husbands to love their wives. And it's one of those passages that when we first look at it might seem uh, to be a little difficult or even offensive to us when we first read that and trying to understand that. But what we need to look at here is that Paul points both husbands and wives to follow the example of Jesus, that Jesus modeled both of these in his life. He is our example in submission, that he laid down his power and his glory to serve, and that he did what was best for us, not what was best for himself. And as we look at this idea of submitting ourselves to each other, I want to look at just a few other verses to help us to understand. Uh, Because Paul didn't just say these few verses here, but in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, Paul tells all believers, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let Each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. That this is something that applies to all of us here, married or not, that we are to look to the interests of others, that in humility we're to consider others better than ourselves. And also, if we zoom out a little bit further in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 21, right before Paul gives the instructions to wives to submit to their husbands, in Ephesians 5.21, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, that all of us as believers are called to submit to one another. All of us are called to follow the example of Jesus. That if Jesus could model this in his life, he gives us the power to be able to do this in our life. So now, there's much more that could be said about the role of a husband and a wife in marriage, but today we're just going to focus on the responsibility of both a husband and a wife. Because I can see in my own marriage that there have been times where I've needed to submit and lay down my rights to my wife, and where I've needed to be that servant leader and to say, this is what's best, not for me, but what's best for my wife, what's best for my family, that it takes both in a marriage. Number three, we need to confront our own self-centeredness because Jesus is our example of selflessness. And so I need to treat my own self-centeredness more seriously than that of my spouse. And now that is a hard thing to do because it's so easy for me to see when my wife makes a mistake or when I think, oh, you're being a little selfish there. And it's so hard for me to actually examine my own heart to really see the selfishness that's in me. That I'm so excited. Now, for my, my wife is a wonderful young lady. I joke that she, I married somebody who doesn't have a sin nature. Uh, she very 
seldomly makes mistakes or gets upset or, or does something where I can kind of say, aha, that was wrong. And so I'm constantly on the lookout because I, I make mistakes all the time. I am just making mistakes all day, every day. Uh, and so she has a whole multitude of options to point out when I make a mistake, but I'm watching her, waiting for her to make a mistake so I can, gotcha, right there. But really, when it comes to our own self-centeredness, I am completely responsible for my own self-centeredness because I have complete access to my selfishness, to my thoughts, to the ways that I'm doing things. I can understand that. That's not my responsibility for my wife to focus on her selfishness or her mistakes. I've got to start with me. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 and 5, it's the love chapter. And here is a great example for us to look at where we can contrast the difference between love because love is not at all like self-centeredness. In verse 4 and 5, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. This is a picture of selflessness that we want to have in our life. And, and it's so beautiful because we can take the example of Jesus and we can replace the word love with Jesus and it, it still fits so wonderfully because Jesus is patient and kind and Jesus is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude and Jesus doesn't demand his own way. Jesus is not irritable and Jesus keeps no record of being wronged. And it certainly works better than if I try and put my name in there. If I try and say, Peter is patient and kind. All right, I'm going to give myself a pass on that one, okay? I'm doing okay so far. Okay, Peter is not jealous. Okay, I'm failing on that one. Uh, Peter is not boastful. Okay, if you've seen my Facebook, you know that's not true. Uh, Peter is not proud or rude. Okay, I, I'm going to give myself a pass on rude, but I failed the rest of them there. Uh, Peter does not demand his own way. Okay, that is an instant fail for me. Uh, Peter is not irritable. Not looking good. Uh, Peter keeps no record of being wronged. Okay, I have failed this test. Jesus has aced this test. I have completely failed it. But Jesus is my example, and it's his example of love that shows me how to love my spouse. It's him as my power source that gives me the ability to do the hard work of marriage. Number four, here's our last two points. Number four, healing can begin with one. That Jesus loves us even when we don't love him. That I don't have to wait for my spouse to be rolling up my sleeves to do the hard work of marriage. That even if I'm the only one in my marriage, that I can still follow the example of Jesus and show that love to my spouse, believing that Jesus is gonna use me, use his love through me to change my spouse. Now, with that being said, the grace that we give to our spouse isn't blind, or without nerve endings. We don't ignore, trivialize, or excuse our spouse's inappropriate, unacceptable behavior. And repentance is still required. But we can start 
with just one, even if it's just me, regardless of what my spouse chooses to do, I can choose to start with myself, to say, I am going to submit. I am going to love like Jesus. I am going to deal with my own selfishness and self-centeredness. And that leads us right into number five. Our final point here is choose to love. That we can see from the example of Jesus that he chooses to love us. So I can choose, my, choose to love. I can say that I am going to love my spouse because Jesus looked at my sin and rebellion and chose to stay and die for me. So I can love my spouse no matter what. Uh, choosing to love is, is covenant love. It is love regardless of your feelings. It's saying, I love you even if you don't act loving toward me. And I think the best example of covenant love that I've seen in my own life is the love that I have for my children. I've got two kids now. They're four and two. And I have so much love to give to my kids. I love my kids. And from the moment that they were born, my kids, they didn't have anything that they could offer in the way of love to me. They were crying all the time. I mean, I got the occasional hug, but they had poopy diapers. There was so much that I had to give and invest into my kids. And I didn't do it because of the love that they gave to me. And I didn't do it because of the respect that they were showing me, but because of the covenant love that I have for my kids. And so I know that no matter what my kids do, I'm going to love them. And those of you here who have adult children or children who maybe have even walked away from you or where there's been disagreements or there's been hard times between you and your children, don't you still have that amazing overflow of love for your children, that covenant love that we have for them? And I can see how easy it is for me to love my children with covenant love. But do I have covenant love for my spouse? Or am I too caught up in whether or not my spouse is acting loving towards me? If Crystal is respecting me or showing me love the way that I want to be loved, I need to have that covenant love. Because if we don't have covenant love, it's too easy to slip into consumer love. Where I say, my wife is not being the wife that she ought to be. So I'm not gonna put the effort in to be the husband that I ought to be. And that's only gonna lead to a downward cycle of now I'm not showing love because she's not showing love and she's not showing love because I'm not showing love. That can only get worse. But we have a, a covenant love that God shows to us that no matter what we do, he loves us. No matter how far we've been from him, he loves us and he is our example of love, And he is our power source because on our own, we can't have this same kind of love. It's too, it's too hard. We need the example of Jesus and we need his power inside of us because Jesus' love for me shows me how to love my spouse. Marriage is hard, but it is glorious. It is the most intimate relationship that we can have with another human on this earth. When you have a spouse who sees you to the depths and loves you and believes in you 
It is an incredibly powerful thing. For those of us that are here that are are looking ahead towards marriage, these same principles apply to our life, to all of our close relationships. That it's Jesus' love for me that shows me how to love my friends. It's Jesus' love for me that shows me how to love my parents. That I can have this covenant love for others, following the example of Jesus. A great marriage is never going to be easy. But if we can understand how God designed marriage, and with Jesus as our example and our power source, we can overcome our self-centeredness. We can lay down our will, and we can choose to love like Jesus. Would you pray with me today? Jesus, I just pray for each and every marriage that's represented here. God, I just pray, Lord, that you would come and just touch us, touch our hearts by showing us, God, your great love for us. God, that you would show us how much you love us, how you care for us, the great lengths that you've gone to to win us. And Jesus, I pray that we would be overwhelmed with understanding your great example for love to us. God, that we would have an overflow of your love in our life that would spill out into all of our relationships around us. God, I pray that you'd help us today, God, to roll up our sleeves, God, to do the hard work of marriage. God, that we would stay close to you, God, knowing that you are our power source. God, when we try and do it on our own, it's only that much more difficult. It's impossible. We can't do it. God, we need your help. God, we need your help to be able to submit and to be a servant leader. God, we need your help to confront the selfishness and self-centeredness that's inside of us. God, we, we need your help to choose to love, to start even if our spouse refuses to follow these things. Jesus, that we, it will start with us, that we will choose to love with a covenant love. And God, I pray for every person here who desires to get married, for every, every future marriage, God, that you would strengthen them and show them, God, your great love for them. God, I pray that you'd help us with all of our relationships, God, to learn from the great love that you have for us. And God, we just pray these things 